I'm your host, Micah Versman, and you are listening to The Producer Podcast. Last time we met with producer Matthew Jordan to discuss his work on the feature film, Counter Column. Today we look to continue that discussion and dive into the production of the film as well as its delayed release due to COVID-19. So without further ado, let's get started. So one of the things I think is pretty cool about Counter Column is while the film takes place in different states, you actually went to both states to film. A lot of lower budget films would shoot in the same place and just try and make it look like the different locations. So what was that pre-production process like for San Antonio? Because both you and the director are up in Indiana. It was a pain in the butt, <laughs> let me tell you. We, but no, we 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 used a lot of money <laughs> that we that we had. We couldn't afford to spend, but we we found some cheap tickets on Frontier flights. I think I found some promo code, and it let us get like hundred dollar tickets round trip to Austin, Texas. And so we flew down for like just over two hundred bucks, and stayed with a family I'd met at the festival. They let us drive a car around and scouted locations. We also did casting auditions. And it was a real godsend. We we got connected with a guy named Troy, and he was in the area, and he connected me with Rome Talent Agency, which was just great. A great lady ran it, and it was basically a San Antonio-based okay. acting agency. And without them, honestly, I don't know how successful we would have been. I, I still look back, and I'm not sure how <laughs> how things happened. We had had a, a casting, someone who was acting as casting coordinator in Indiana. Okay. And she had sent out a lot of messages to high schools in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of work behind the scenes that went on that I kind of forget about. All I know is that a lot of people did come through our website, and they did fill out casting applications on our website. And so we were able to contact these people and set up auditions. And we had a church that loaned us a room and we did auditions in this church. And it was busy, busy, busy that whole week. We spent about a week down there, got to go to a service at the church that had let us borrow a room and basically just lock, trying to get all the contact info for the locations. We're like, we definitely want to use these. And so then we were able to use that back home to lock locations, and then we went down for pre-production. We had a week before we filmed in June, so we were down there for about two weeks, and that was when we finalized some of the location scouting we didn't do. Mm-hmm. But by that time, I think we had gotten most of our main actors locked in and stuff. But that was where we auditioned the character who plays Anthony, the main character, on our location scout and casting trip in I think it was May we went down so okay it was just me and Gilbert and it was a really good time to really connect with him as well and we kind of needed that to get on the same page with San Antonio specifically because Gilbert was from San Antonio and I I wasn't and so he knew the culture he knew all these things and he was also getting reacquainted with San Antonio in some ways because he's been gone for so long we got to really connect because um, around that time we had split and I had said you know I think I feel called to be the producer and he said I feel like I'm called to be the director and so that was kind of our our split 
before we started pre-production was okay you're gonna be going for it as a director and i'm gonna try to make it so that you know you have the best first experience as a director you can and right without any problems a lot of my work that i should have done did actually go to other people especially as we got a first direct first assistant director jonathan shuts on board he took over all the scheduling of the scenes and there were a lot of things that got taken off my shoulders the more people that got involved um, so that was a godsend cool because i didn't get to be on the san antonio block i'm kind of curious some of the scenes take place at a jail and police station and i've been on other films filming in those areas but it's yeah. always been different every time what was the experience not only like securing the that type of location but then actually filming there so one of the biggest lessons i learned was when you want to film at like a jail you don't want to do it in a big city <laughs> they they are not gonna allow you to at all and we called and we pounded on the doors essentially contacting 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 try to trying to work it out and uh it's a real miracle because we we didn't have a jail location we we had scouted some places but we really didn't scout a jail when we were down there for our, our location scouting trip and so we came with a week till we started filming and we still couldn't find a jail and we were looking at like potential places like a a barbed wire fence around a ice cream store where they keep their ice cream store trucks and white cinder block walls. Like we were thinking maybe this could be like an outdoor jail scene, a jail yard. And, um, that was the one place we had potentially put down when we location scouted. But they were really wanting, you know, a real jail. And we're like, okay, well, maybe a holding cell. We could use a holding cell. So we would call them police stations, and police stations are even harder to work with. And it was kind of set on my my shoulders to figure it out because we started filming and we didn't have a jail. And so the first day we started filming, that was one of some of the phone calls I was making was to try to figure out where we could film a jail. Gilbert had told me, you know, try Live Oaks. Live Oaks was like a suburb of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And that was the one place they hadn't checked because they had gone around and they had checked these different places. And so I Google Live Oaks jail and Live Oaks jail comes up. I give it a give them a call and the lady is like, oh, cool. You want to film a movie? Okay, well, I'll connect you with the sheriff. So day two of filming and I get a call from the sheriff down in Live Oaks. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, well, I, yeah, come on. I think we have what you need. You can come take a look. And so I was like, okay, um, tomorrow, guys, can we go scout this out? And so Gilbert and the first assistant director, second assistant director, and DP, we all go. And we're driving to Live Oaks. And Gilbert's like, you're going the wrong way. And I'm like, no, this is Google. Google Maps is telling me to go this way. And we're going south, and we're leaving San Antonio. He's like, no, 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 no. I know Live Oaks. No, don't listen to Google. It's Live Oaks is over there. And so then he looks at the phone, and it's Live Oaks County Jail. And so Live Oaks, suburb of San Antonio, is different than Live Oaks County. I didn't know this. So it was a mistake. <laughs> and so we're driving south, and we drive an hour and a half south to Live Oaks County. It's like halfway to the Gulf of Mexico. We get there and it's a fully functioning jail and the sheriff like shows us around 
shows us the visiting area where it was like perfect for like what we wanted to do even said you know and they're like yeah you can use this place he like signed off on it it's like hey you know if they sue if, if they come suing they'll sue everybody so it's uh <laughs> <laughs> he's just like That's awesome encouraging. dude he, he was the oldest sheriff in the air in texas or something wow. like that and so it was his it was his thing he was the final say in that area and he let us use it and it was a total miracle because if i hadn't made this mistake of like calling the wrong place it never would have come through and so it was like such a we just thank god it was like such such a testimony such an amazing yeah we had to drive the crew an hour and a half but it was incredible to be able to film in a real jail they gave us the orange jumpsuits for our actors it was like amazing and it was totally a testament of god and his faithfulness and you know all the prayer praying for something to come through and uh and it did it's a really neat story and that's something that really showed me gave me faith that like you know what like that was like two days we went and visited it two days before we had to film there and you know it mm -hmm. was like god's got this and there's nothing i can do to stop this so yeah i don't know if i've ever heard the full story on how you got the jail before so that was cool so still kind of with the jail when you were actually filming there were there any challenges because i know like the ones that i was on we weren't allowed to use our walkies at all because it would interfere with their system um i do think that that might have been the case i can't really remember okay um i feel like we might have had walkies though but i we we didn't have enough extras that was our problem so we ended up pulling crew for extras and then it just started falling apart because crew weren't functioning in their roles mm -hmm. anymore it was definitely difficult because whenever you went in you had to be with someone and you had to go through a process to get into the jail and it was a functioning jail so there were inmates right in the middle of filming they had shower hour where everyone could turn on their showers and shower <laughs> and so we just had to stop filming like <laughs> you can't film with showers going in <laughs> you know they had moved some inmates for us actually because we wow. had certain cells and so that was crazy but you know we're at the mercy of the inmates in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. you know, they could be loud if they they could start screaming if they wanted to but we we tried to keep it really quiet that no one would really know what was going on when they were filming the scene at the visiting room there was actually an inmate that got free or something and so they locked down the jail and they locked the crew in the visiting room and i think they kept filming the scene <laughs> they had to like get creative at like how to avoid shooting each other like showing each other in the video because like mm -hmm. there was a lot way too many people in that room I think Jonathan, our first assistant director, was like standing on the table above everyone to like, it was crazy. And it was also kind of hard because when you're in a visiting room, it's not made to really carry sound back and forth. You have like a phone. Yeah. And our sound guy was on, could only be on one side. So he had to like be on the attorney's side and then come on to the other side for any other sounds overall you, you save time when you plan and when you have a solid shot list solid storyboard and you stick to it things go so much more smoothly and uh, this this location being kind of a last minute location 
it didn't get planned as well as it could have. But yeah, it was it was just insane. It was it was it was hard like all of filming was, but it was really cool too to see how uh, just God came through with it all, and they just were more than easy to work with, and they let us in and out as we needed. They let the whole grip truck unload and come through the sally port. Wow! So we had lighting equipment and we had everything we needed to film inside the jail they 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 brought in all the equipment like there's a risk on their part for sure yes you know but it's all the grip stuff all the lighting like everything they let us bring it in what was the process and timeline like then for relocating back up to indiana to finish shooting was you know did you take like a half a week off to move everything up and then you were going again or what was that like we did take some time off and actually I had scheduled a break when we came back to Indiana for a couple reasons. One was I was going as a Young Life leader to Young Life camp. Okay. Not a great idea if you're producing a film. (laughs) And Gilbert Sorolla had a business, and so he had to leave his business for two weeks while he was in San Antonio. So I wanted to give him a chance to kind of catch up on things. And he was also training a new general manager to take care of things while he was working on the film. In San Antonio, there are a few moments where he had to deal with business calls and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's not a good situation. So we had about two or three weeks off. And then we came back and we started pre-production. We had about two weeks of pre-production, a week of filming in Indiana, a week of pre-production, and then two weeks of filming basic training in Indiana and it was a lot going on all at once because when we got home we had not officially cast any of Indiana oh wow and so you know this this just last minute things going on and you know you're focused on San Antonio you're like oh shoot we got to film in San Antonio and you're focused and you finish everything in San Antonio I think we had not told people that they got the part until we came back from San Antonio which you know, then you're running into scheduling issues. So we had to finish Indiana casting. We're trying to location scout because we had not really locked down any locations for Indiana. And so it was it was just a, a lot of hodgepodge. And after San Antonio, we realized, oh, we could really use a few more people on crew. And so looking back through our crew applications and, hey, could you come volunteer for a week or two weeks? or And then some people, after experiencing San Antonio, really liked it for some reason and we're like hey I have a friend or you know they told some people about it and they applied or whatever and word kind of got out so that was kind of neat the the choice to have a few weeks off just was a total god thing because you know it helped people come and help us who might not have come and help us a majority of the film does take place at basic training but you actually didn't shoot any of that at a military base or anything. So what was that like trying to... How do you know that? <laughs> to bring all that to life in a way that was believable on screen. Oh, man. It's insane. We tried to film at Camp Atterbury in Indiana, which I don't know how we would have filmed there, hindsight. And I don't know how we could have afforded filming there, hindsight. This is all things that God just shut the door on for a reason. But it was like three days 
till we needed to film basic training. We had pushed all basic training to the last for a reason, and none of it had been locked. But we, we pushed really hard, and we sent, you know we printed scripts, and we printed, printed proof of insurance, certificate of insurance. We printed a letter. We, we tried to get one to the governor. We tried to get one to our state representative. I think we dropped one off for the person in charge of Camp Atterbury, as far as like the, the top military person. We tried to get one for the general of the state of the national Guard. okay or i don't know what the correct um rank would be and so we tried really hard and i think we did get some of those through it was a copy of the script it was all these different things and we also sent an email and we had a connection and i i ended up driving down to camp Atterbury myself and i had met a captain who was over the communications department so he yeah he dealt with public matters and he was great, a re- great resource, and he helped us out and gave us ideas. He had actually taken us to a place there that they do combat training, and he had led us okay. location scout there. And we that place wouldn't have needed any legal federal agreements because it was state-run. And so we had gone there, but it really didn't fit what we needed. We really needed an Army base. And so he took me around Camp Atterbury, and that was really what we needed. It had barracks. That was probably the biggest thing. It had barracks, and we didn't have barracks. And so we pushed really hard, and what happened was because of the time constraint, we were like, we need this to find out, you know, by this day because we're filming. We actually got a message back as a no. And it wasn't because it was rushed. It was the fact that we rushed it was good because it actually went all the way to where it needed to go, which was the Pentagon. Oh, wow. Because um, the Pentagon officially decides Army matters. And when you're filming with the Army, endorsing you like on an Army base with Army uniforms, all these different things, they have to ultimately prove it. So the Pentagon read our script. (laughs) (laughs) And someone got back to us and was like, no, they, they said no. And the reason was because the character Pano in the film is antagonistic towards Christians. They didn't want the army to be portrayed like that because it's mm-hmm. a negative light. So that was kind of neat to hear. But, you know, changing his character would change our story. And, you know, we definitely wanted to portray the army in a positive light. But we felt yeah. like having a we know we have a pilot we have a christian drill sergeant we have a one who's kind of more rough and tough and antagonistic towards religious things we felt like that wouldn't compromise the 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 army's appearance in our film you know we wanted to be pro-army ultimately in the film um, but also have some drama going on at basic training but anyway we had we heard a no and then we like went into plan b mode where we just tried to figure out any and every place we could film that kind of looked like basic training. And then once we figured out places we could film, we had to figure out what scenes to film there. <laughs> it was like backwards. It was like what's available and how do we fit our script to these locations. The one place that we did not have was barracks. We finally went with a plan C option that we had scouted and it was down Hanging Rocks Christian Camp and they had bunkhouses that those end up being the barracks in the film and and the thing that was kind of rough you know gilbert really wanted metal barracks because that was what he remembered Mm -hmm. and it ended up being wooden barracks but to the average viewer i don't think it's going to be a big deal and uh you know army people will definitely recognize okay well 
it's wooden. They aren't really wooden bunks it. But then again, it's like when you're watching a movie, you can sometimes believe things and like, oh, well, maybe some other camp has wooden bunks. Right. It was all filmed in Indiana. It was a lot of outdoor scenes. We did a scene at a Boy Scout camp. We did some scenes at a Christian camp, a lot of outdoor things. And then um, indoor, we had a connection that led us to film at the armory at the local university. And what's cool is that we're able to film in an office, like an army office. And the you know the the production design's done because it is an army office, <laughs> and like it was perfect. And it ended up being the drill sergeant office of the film, and we used that you know for the office, and we just set it up differently a few times, and it was just incredible, an incredible, incredible blessing. It was perfect, and so you know stringing all these things together, it does feel like the same location. It does feel like you're on mm-hmm. at basic training. But there was one other element that we needed to tie it all together, and that was there just weren't enough guys. We had we had a decent amount of extras, but there just weren't enough. And Gilbert, especially being in the army, he knew like, oh man, we need more guys, we need more guys. And he'd send me these YouTube videos of like, oh, here's some basic training footage. We should use this in our film. And I'm like, okay, um, how are we going to get the rights to this? <laughs> <laughs> and it was usually the wrong uniform. We had bought a bunch of uniforms that were a little bit outdated, but they still, like, to the general public, no one's going to notice that it's outdated. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem we ran into because all the footage of the digital uniforms was older footage. But he sent me this one Vimeo video. It was the right uniforms, and it was great footage. And there was the contact of the guy. And I looked up the guy and I found his website. And he's, I don't know if he's still in the army or not, but he he did videography in the army for the army. And so he's filmed amazing stuff. And he has all this footage. I said, hey, do you have this footage that you have in this video? He's like, yeah, I filmed it like on a Panasonic. You really, like, you want that? And I was like, I could dig it all up for you, whatever. And I bought it from him to use. And essentially, if you film the army it's public material it's like okay to use um there's a website called dvids that we got a little bit of footage from and it's basically all public video from the army from the military that people can use in newscasts and they can use to create documentaries with and so he basically was like yeah sent me all this stuff and we ended up splicing in clips from real basic training nice throughout the film and it gives it this realism that just wouldn't have existed uh, if we hadn't done that one question i had is and i know a lot of people don't know much about this but during that last block of filming both main actors ended up getting injured for you as a producer that's the worst thing that could happen on a film other than maybe losing all the footage so what was that like trying to take care of the actors but also keep this film on track that was one of the biggest days where we just felt like so much attack on the film the point where both your main actors get hurt and it's only the second day of basic training filming at that point you're like how do you even make a basic training film Mm -hmm. where your main actors aren't active like (laughs) It wouldn't work. I remember we took a day off and we all felt like this was something we couldn't afford to do, but we had to do it. And the crazy thing about it is like everybody needed it. We had been working so hard to get up to basic training filming and we had 
I think people had worked all day Sunday on pre-production stuff and just like people were tired. So we took the day and our main actor actually had torn his hamstring or something, pulled a hamstring or something crazy. He could limp with a a crutch and he could be wheeled in a wheelchair. He was pretty, it was, it was rough. Our second lead actor had just hurt his knee. So he recovered a little faster, but in that day off, we, uh, we prayed and we just gave the whole the whole thing to God, and it was the like a very much needed thing for everyone, uh, just to realize this is God's thing and it's not ours. And there's no way we can do this ourselves, especially like looking at odds like that. We were just like, there's no way we can do this, and so it was like this desperate like, um, God, we need you, and if you want to make this, you make it. And our lives aren't about this project. And uh, if you want this to happen, you're going to have to make it happen somehow. I've heard more testimonies from crew members about that day than any other point in the entire filming of Counter Calling. It was a powerful day. It was like the we prayed and that prayer meeting was like one, two hours. Everyone was just like broken. And it was like the craziest awesomest holy spirit experience that many of them had ever felt in their lives and like we kind of came up with a term around it It was like the day that god did a counter column with counter column because <laughs> counter column needs to turn around and go the other direction it's like repentance it's like transformation you know redemption cha- a change in direction and that's what happened so what do you do when your main actor needs to be active and uh you can't be active so you you try to fudge it we just tried to like make it so that every scene that we were going to film for the next several days didn't have him being active and it's amazing how you don't even realize that he's not being as active when you watch the film but that actually was going on and thank thank god the hardest scene that we had to film, which was a wrestling pit tumble between the two main characters. We filmed that before they got hurt. So the <laughs> most active scene that we could have had, you know, that would, that scene would not have been the same if they had been post-injury. Mm-hmm. So we filmed that scene and then we filmed the scene of them running and it, they are running really hard and that's, they pulled, you know, they got hurt. Uh, <laughs> but we did have the clip of them running really hard. And so we have some really good shots. But no, we, we went through the script and we basically rescheduled the entire rest of the filming. It was really hard because we were on a time crunch with our lead actor. He had to fly back to San Antonio. So that that date didn't change. So we basically were stuck on his schedule to film all of his scenes. So we basically took all of his active scenes that had to happen, like him running out of the bus or just different things. We put those at the very last day and then we... We just filled in the rest and we tried to cut any scene that we didn't need that we would show him active or whatever and gave him plenty of time to sit down between takes. I think one of the biggest scenes of the film, he's standing and if you saw the wide shot, you'd see there's a wrap on his leg. It was a challenge for sure, but God used it for good and it was amazing to see how his providence like guided that whole happening, even to giving us the day off we needed and then also making sure we had filmed the hardest scenes before they got hurt. It's hard to complain when you see the goodness of God, I guess. (laughs) That is true. 
So one of the things I remember about being on set is we'd always get back from filming and there'd be a group of you that would like go lock yourselves in this one room while everybody else is eating or hanging out, uh, you know, and you'd be doing your production meetings. Oh. And I had never even heard of doing stuff like that till a department head on a shoot I was directing recommended it. So like who was all involved on counter column in those and what did you typically discuss each night? Oh man. So it was rarely the director, but this was when we were actually figuring out the call sheet for the next day for the most part. We're figuring out what we're going to film. We're figuring out how we're going to film it because so much went wrong and so many things weren't planned out for that last two weeks of shooting. And that was the only way we could survive (laughs) to create our call sheet at 12 a.m. and send it out at 2 a.m., which was not good for the extras, especially when their call time is like 7 a.m. But I don't know know how people showed up on time. I really don't. It was me and so I was the producer. I kind of acted as a production manager for most of the filming. Jonic Petri came on for Indiana, and he was my production coordinator. So it was usually me and him, and it was Jonathan Schutz, who was our first assistant director, Christian Widener, our second assistant director, and then Olivia Petri, who was our second second. They would go lock ourselves in a corner and bash it out. We would also talk through the things that didn't go well that day, the things that did go well that day, and uh, things we wanted to make sure to not happen the next day. Just basically pouring out the complaints so that y'all can have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But no, it was necessary, it was good, and uh, we we were able to actually plan things out and finish filming because of it. One thing I'm curious about on the post-production side Mm. is CounterCon was supposed to release this spring, and then like every other film, COVID-19 came in and said no to that. (laughs) Yeah. But unlike a lot of films who just jumped straight to the digital release to still get it out there, you decided to hold off on releasing it. So what's kind of your thought process behind doing that? Well, there's a couple things. One was we were trying to go forward without a distributor on board. Okay. And in an ideal world, we'd like, yeah, we'd like a distributor. But kind of moving forward, we were moving forward as if, you know, the theatrical wouldn't be an official distributor. So we're just trying to work that out ourselves. We had planned a premiere. We had planned a local theatrical release where we just worked with the theater ourselves. And we're going to split ticket profits and stuff. I I think the the flaw in that thinking was that we, we just, we would kind of be fooling ourselves if we thought we would have a distributor to put us out on home entertainment, I guess we were going to go ahead with that our improved plan is to make sure we have a distributor for dvd and home entertainment it at least pursue that and make sure there's either one or there's no door open and then we can kind of plan out things ourselves we realized you know we could have been shooting ourselves in the foot by doing a theatrical local theatrical release ourselves like um, we just don't know if that would have been a bad idea until we talk with the distributor who wants to distribute our film. We also had some notes from a distributor who saw an early version of the film of like some, hey, these are some cheesy scenes, maybe you should cut these. And at the time we were like, well, we're done with the film, we're going to put it out. But 
then the door closed and so we're like well maybe we should actually go back and look at this and you know it is a pain to cut after you've locked and you've colored and you've finished the sound design and like it's a pain and you know we had to spend more money and we had our composer compose a few more sound bites and just there's a lot of little things that we did to the film um, just in the last two months where now it's a lot stronger of a film and I think we cut seven minutes I think seven and a half minutes from the film wow and I don't miss it so <laughs> that's good it's a good it's a good thing and I think overall like I that was a huge blessing in itself it just means you have a stronger product we are just just about done with our sound design so we can actually figure out how to send this to potential distributors and have that conversation first before we decide what we're going to do as far as premieres and theatrical and stuff like that. Our hope is still this year, 2020. Not 100% sure right now what is going to go down. but Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> has that figured out yet. Yeah. So a couple of wrap-up questions here. If you were to do another feature film as a producer, is there anything you would for sure do differently next time around? Is there anything? How about is there everything? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that could be one way of putting it. Oh, man. So many, so many things I would want to do differently. But ultimately, I think it comes down to planning. Being more planned out is so critical and making sure all your locations are locked before you start filming the film is so critical. And yeah, things will come up and a location will drop. But deal with that when the problem comes up. Don't make that a problem going into filming. I think that was the biggest, biggest thing that killed us was just the fact that we hadn't locked locations before we started filming. You want to lock all your actors before you start filming. You know, that was another stressor. We hadn't we hadn't cast our lead drill sergeant until like the week before filming at basic training. Um, these just stressors. They add stress to what you're already experiencing. I would have more people helping me. But that takes coordination and that takes planning. And so, you know, you personally mm -hmm. have to be super planned out so that you know what needs done and you know who needs to do it and who yes. you need to do it so that you can get it done in a fast enough time. I say get people that know more than you. That's like the biggest thing. There's so many people on Countercom that knew more than me and Gilbert. And that's honestly what made it into like a real film set. You know, this was our first time. We didn't know what a real film set was, but you know, our assistant director, he made it run like a real film set. He brought, you know, so many people brought knowledge of what these different roles, crew roles were supposed to be. And that made the difference. I think we've decided to do another film. It, the acting is one of the things that we really want to try to invest more into. So the, I think a good part of the budget on a, a next project ideally would go towards paying actors that people recognize because that okay. basically makes your film more attractive to a potential distributor. I can't speak from experience on this one, but I think... I've heard from other people that you don't even want to make a film until you have a distributor on board. 
And so if you want to guarantee what where this film's going to go, um, you should have a distributor that you start with. So you're, mm-hmm. you, they're not necessarily funding you. You could make out, I'm sure you could work out a deal where you provide the funding yourself, but you basically tell them, I'm planning to make it for this much money. I plan to have these actors in it. I plan to whatever. And you work out something with a distributor. And so that way, everything that you're doing is with the end in mind. And that that's what's hard, what's hard for us. You know, we spent all of our budget on production. And so we had to raise more money to get out of debt and then to also raise money for post-production. And thank God we did. We were able to. Like, he brought in the money. We were able to spend a good amount on post-production to finish the film. But if we couldn't have spent that money on post-production, um, I don't know where we'd be right now. So budget, I would budget for post-production. I would also budget for marketing. Um, we didn't hardly budget anything for marketing. And this coming in, I wanted to. But it's when you have the pressing matter of, we. this is like a a life or death situation when it comes to production because if you don't finish production you don't have a movie if you don't do it well you don't have a good movie and so all the money gets sucked out real quick i'd say you know budget for marketing budget for post-production and this is stuff that like talk to other people for price reference you can get people that are good but talk to them in advance that's the thing with planning it's like speak to all these people that could potentially edit that could potentially sound design all these things and have them quote you early so you can budget correctly you know you're limited when you're it's your first film and uh, you know there's yes. a lot of things that we couldn't do because it was our first film and that's why I'm, I'm really pumped for film number two because i think we we have this film as like a launch pad in a lot of ways and people can see oh we actually made a film we actually finished a film um, and that i think is probably the biggest portfolio piece you could ever have it's like a completed mm-hmm. feature film so nice so my final question is if you were to meet somebody that's just getting started themselves and producing what would be that one piece of advice you would give to them don't do it all yourself and just do it <laughs> <laughs> reality of the producer's job is making a film happen doing anything they have to to make it happen so essentially you know if you're a one-man band and your camera operator your director everything you're also the producer the true joy of being a producer comes when you get other people to do all the other jobs surrender your creative vision surrender your expectations it's going to be hard working with people let them have creative liberty you can't be a control freak you can't be micromanaging your life's going to be miserable you have to trust people and yeah, they're going to make mistakes, just like you're mm-hmm. going to make mistakes. But a bigger mistake than them making a mistake is you not letting them make a mistake. You need to have the faith in them to let them learn as well. And so it's when you get a group of people together to fill in these positions, even if they don't know what they're doing, it's your job to tell them what they're doing. Um, I remember looking up on Wikipedia, film jobs, film crew jobs. I read Wikipedia. That was that was my <laughs> the extent of my film crew position knowledge was Wikipedia. So list out all the positions you think you could use in whatever project you're going to come up on and don't, you know, try to limit it, but don't, don't go too big and, you know, start small and just try to get friends to fill in those positions. And, you know, I remember doing a short barn, barn band. I ended up filling in for the lighting engineer because I couldn't find a lighting, someone who could do our lighting, but I was still producing, you know? So, so as a producer, you just Mm kind of, you, 
you're ready to fill in where you need to fill in. On counter column, I needed to be an extra in basic training. So I shaved my head and I was an extra in basic training. That was not an ideal, That I don't recommend that to anyone producing a film. But you know, as a producer, your job is to serve, your job is to make it so that the director can have the creative vision so they can do their job. It's not about you and what you wanna happen, it's about what he wants to happen. Your job is to solve problems. It's literally coming to set and waiting for a problem to happen and then solving it. Um, and so it's exciting. It's just different than your glamour job of filmmaking. But it's a really needed position. And so, so that's what I say. Don't do it all yourself. That's like the worst thing you can do. And as a producer, your job is to basically work yourself out of a job. You're, you're, you're planning it all. You're getting it all set. And then you should press a button and watch it all happen. Like if you can just show up to set and watch it all happen, um, that's the best. All right. Yeah, that's some really great advice. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Producers Podcast. So thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Thanks so much, Micah. Appreciate it. If you want to learn more about Counter Column, you can check the film out on Facebook or at countercolumnthemovie.com. And make sure to subscribe to the Producers Podcast for more episodes.